My name is Bill Jay, and I'm talking to you from Tempe, Arizona. When I saw a bunch of photographs which I didn't understand, uh, then I would contact the photographer. memory is that it was just a ring at the door, you, you know, and suddenly there was this guy. I came into the room, I looked the guy up and down and said, hmm, this is an interesting character. The reason I accepted your offer to be included here is because I hold the guy in such high regard. I personally think he's the most interesting writer there's been on photography. He owed a lot of money and um, he just got out of everything. He escaped. He was a lone voice in America. He was a beacon of hope, really. He was an evangelist. Bill was a catalyst for all of us. He was the flame that started it all. The meaning of that is unintelligible, and so it should be. My name is Grant Scott, and this is In Search of Bill J. I'm sitting in my shed and the calendar in the corner says it's the 28th of February 2022. That's roughly four years since the screening of Do Not Bend, a photographic life of Bill J. But why did I even think about Bill J as a person who I wanted to research, investigate and find out about? Well, that all started way back in 2009. I was the editor of Professional Photographer magazine and I'd been given the opportunity to do whatever I wanted with it. The first thing I did was I removed all wedding photography and event photography, all Photoshop technique and all camera reviews. These were not something I was interested in with photography and therefore I presumed that others weren't interested either. It was at this point that I got a letter from photographer and writer and television presenter Joe Partridge. Joe said this in the letter. I like what you're doing with the magazine. It reminds me of Creative Camera, but they won't let you continue doing this. You know what happened to Creative Camera and you know what happened to Bill J. I didn't know who Bill J was and I didn't know what had happened to him. I didn't follow up on that letter, but roughly seven years later, I wrote an article for the United Nations of Photography.com, which I oversee. And in that article, I questioned whether or not we needed curators and theoricians in photography. Soon after, I received a post on social media from Robert Galanders, a Scottish photographer and lecturer. He said to me, you are Bill Jay you need to read Occam's Razor. And so I did. The moment I started to read that book, I started to recognise that perhaps we were very similar. I immediately knew that I needed to find out more about this man. And the way in which I chose to do that was with my friend Tim Pellet with the film that we made about Bill. But since then, since that film was screened, more and more information has come out about Bill. And I've decided in this podcast series to tell those stories. 
Stories that appeared in the film, stories that didn't appear in the film, and stories that have come to light. I started to search for magazines, books, and anything to do with Bill. Every time I saw a photographer's name mentioned in his writing, I would write that name down and I would see if they were still alive. If they were, I would contact them. I wanted to hear from the people who knew him what Bill was really like. When I first met Bill, when he first got his job at Creative Camera, uh, Colin Osman introduced me to him. And I sort of sort of was surprised because he, he spoke very softly, almost like a Jesuit, you know. And his appearance was the first thing that caught me. He even had a pointed green hat. You know, he looked like he was Robin Hood without his bow and arrow. He also, talking to Bill, I asked him about his background, you know, and he actually told me something else, which is some people have found surprised. He was a door-to-door Bible salesman for the Plymouth Brethren for a period. (laughs) That was John Benton Harris, American photographer now based in London, who was one of the first people I spoke to. John's photographs of London had appeared in the February 1965 issue of Camera Owner magazine. And that's a date and an issue that I'm going to return to later in this podcast. My impression of what Bill looked like and what he sounded like and what he did was already beginning to be formed. This is a man who dressed like Robin Hood in the middle 1960s, who sold Bibles and who also spoke softly like a Jesuit. I'm not quite sure I understood that phrase, having been taught by Jesuits, but... Already this character was starting to become very interesting. I'd seen images by John Benton Harris in Creative Camera magazine, and I'd also seen images by the photographer Patrick Ward. So he was the next person on my list to contact. Um, I mean, I was aware of him because uh, David Hearn was a a, a great personal friend back then. And uh, there was a whole group of photographers who tended to gravitate towards um, uh, David Hearn's apartment uh, on sort of evenings and so on. He was in. He was within that group, I think. You know, people like Philip Jones Griffiths and Don McCullen and uh, people of that period who were just starting out. The plot was starting to thicken. Suddenly, there were parties at David Hearn's flat. Famous photographers of the time were starting to be mentioned, and Bill seems to be at the centre of all of this. It seemed to me the only person I needed to speak to at this point was David Hearn. And my memory is that it was just a ring at the door, you, you know, and suddenly there was this guy who, who came and, and said, you know, I'm working for... Actually, at that time, it was even pre-creative camera. It was some technical magazine or something. And, and he wanted to do two things. One was to interview me and one was to show me some pictures. And, and I was more interested in seeing the pictures than being interviewed. And I remember looking at the pictures and thinking they were incredibly boring um, and, and repetitious. But then I started to, um, he started to talk about photography. And he said he was really a writer, you know, as well. And he just seemed interested in the kind of conversation about photography that I was interested in participating in. So now I knew how Bill Jay had met David Hearn. I also got a little bit of an insight into the fact that Bill was a photographer. 
who was confident enough in his work to show it to David Hearn, a photographer who by that stage was already well-established. Little did I know that that portfolio of images that Bill showed David would become the holy grail of my search. But more of that in a later episode. What had become clear from even my earliest research was that the facts around Bill were definitely conflicting and there seemed to be a lot of information that didn't make any sense. What I thought I needed to do first was work out when, where, why and how Bill had even got into a position of being the editor of a photographic magazine. One magazine that I was writing for as a bit of extra income was a magazine called Camera Owner. Now, the magazine itself was uh, uh, very funny. It was sold through the little packets that people got their snapshots back, you know, from the uh, photo dealer. And so it was for amateurs on how to improve your pictures of your kids and animals, basically. And it was so basic that you couldn't talk about things like F numbers or anything like that, so I wouldn't understand any of that, you know. Um, so it was a very simple amateur snapshot magazine. But I'd write a few articles because the editor, surprisingly, was one of the best photographers of the time. His name was Jürgen Schaderberg. Well, he was kicked out of South Africa and came to London and was out of photographic work and became the editor of this little snapshot magazine. Now, I like Jürgen, and so uh, uh, if he asked me to produce some articles for him, I would. And then one day, uh, Jürgen said that uh, he doesn't need any more articles because they're closing the magazine. They can't keep it going. And uh, so I went to see him and, and saw the owner of it um, and uh, uh, said, I hear you're going to uh, close the magazine. Why don't you give it to me? You know, I want to edit a magazine. And he said, well, look, this is how much it costs to publish per month. There's no way that I could do that. But I badly wanted my own magazine. I didn't want this snapshot little magazine, but I thought, well, at least, you know, I could sort of change it if I got it. It so happened, and this is so much how um, things work in uh, the world. Um, while I was talking to the owner of this magazine, a man came in that I'd never met before. Before, and his name was Colin Osman. And uh, um, very fateful meeting. Colin Osman also wrote occasionally for this magazine. But his income came from a family business which was publishing a magazine for racing pigeon enthusiasts, which was very big in England at the time, you know? So it was very successful. So we had a publishing outfit already set up. So Colin said, um, well, I would like to, you know, publish a magazine in photography. I'm very interested in photography, but I wouldn't want to edit it. But I've got the publishing set up. So I said, why don't we become partners, you know? You do the publishing and I'll do the editing. And so on a handshake, and that was it. We did it. I got 51% of the business and he got 49%. That was Bill Jay recorded by one of his students in Phoenix, Arizona, back in the 1980s, describing 
how he became the editor of Creative Camera magazine. The relationship between Bill and Colin Osmond certainly proved to be quite a contentious one as time passed. But at the beginning there, they were obviously, as far as Bill was concerned, on the same track. But Bill was suggesting that he was in control, even though it was Colin's publishing company. Many people felt that it was Colin's magazine under Coup Press. But if we look in the magazines themselves, what that tells us is a slightly different story to what Bill was telling us, and also a different story to what many people feel Colin's relationship was with the magazine. The fact is that Jürgen Schaderberg left the magazine as editor in January 1965, and Bill became editor of his first issue in February 1965, in which featured an article on Jürgen Schaderberg. Work. Now, at that point, Camera Owner magazine was still owned by Dav Pet Limited. It is recorded that Colin Osman actually purchased the magazine Camera Owner from Dav Pet for just one pound in May 1966. Well, that's a whole year and a half after Bill actually became the editor of the magazine. Once the magazine is published by Coop Press, Colin Osman appears as C. Alfred Osman, advertisement manager. It was clear from this point onwards that my search for Bill J was not going to be a straightforward one, and there was no doubt that I was going to be taken down cul-de-sacs and dead-end streets in my hope to find the truth. Colin ended up selling the magazine in 1986 and therefore was associated with it for far longer than Bill ever was. And I suppose on that basis, it was seen as Colin's magazine. Picture editor, photographer and uh, lecturer, Bryn Campbell now takes over the story. Once we were in journalism, we realised that it was one way, one very rare way of uh, improving the respect with which photography was being held. So Bryn with the British Journal of Photography and Bill at Creative Camera were trying to do something different with photography and show different photography in the 1960s. As Bryn is about to tell us, they weren't the first people to try this within magazines in the UK with photography. But there's no doubt that Bill's zeal and evangelical energy definitely pushed things forward in a way that hadn't been done previously. During the bad period of the 50s, the early 50s and so on, the only faint light of hope for British photography was really Photography Magazine under Norman Hall. Now, simultaneously, there was an even more influential person in Europe, and that was Romeo Martinez. Now, Romeo Martinez was the editor of camera, published in Switzerland. That had enormous respect. And then in America, uh, the editor of popular photography magazine at that time was a chap called Bruce Downs. And he had a bunch of young editors who in their turn also promoted photography. So there was a lot going on and all of it centered 
on photographic magazines because there were no galleries. My search was getting more and more complicated. Already I was starting to see Bill as part of a movement in Europe and America in magazines and with photography. Bill J seemed to be the fulcrum of everything that was happening in the UK. But at the same time, he was very aware of what was happening in Europe and America. And he was bringing those photographers into Creative Camera magazine. But as anybody who's watched the film will know, Bill wasn't good with money, and he was finding it difficult to make a living. We were trying to build up a new readership. Don't forget, this was in England in 1967, somewhere around there. Nothing was happening photographically. Bill was a sort of a Pied Piper figure, really. He was shining a light onto a whole area of photography that we simply didn't know about in Britain. And what I really loved was the American street photographers he, he, he published. Uh, he published lots of other stuff, but I really loved, you know, Gary Winograd, Lee Freelander, Burkhazor, Cartier Bresson, um, and Robert Frank. I don't think I ever missed a copy. I, I bought it every month. And uh, it was something that I looked forward to, to looking at because it seemed to have a, I don't know, a little bit more zap creativity, a bit more images to my liking in it than the normal amateur photographers or photography or whatever, you know. Now, I saw Creative Camera when I was at uh, Surbiton Grammar School. My, my craft teacher took it. And that was one of the things that consolidated my uh, opinion that photography was the right thing for me to study. So here I was introduced to the likes of Winogrand and Robert Frank. Well, it was the magazine that, um, you know, I always wanted to read in preference to any other photographic magazine. There were one or two other reasonable photographic magazines that uh, were around at that time, Swiss Camera Magazine and Casey Photography Magazine. Had some interesting work in and some interesting articles, but Creative Camera was, was very different. It exposed me to, you know, photographers I wouldn't have seen in the other magazines, you know, like uh, Diane Arbus and uh, Lee Friedlander, Gary Winogrand, um, and some English photographers probably that uh, I wouldn't have, uh, have seen before. So that was Bill explaining what he wanted to do with the magazine, followed by photographers Homer Sykes, Brian Griffin, Martin Parr, and Paul Hill explaining why the magazine was so important to them. But let's return to David Hearn to find out about the finances and Bill's approach to money. Well, I've never met a person who was less interested in money to the point where he almost starved himself at certain times. Uh, you know, he used to go around all over the bloody country giving lectures to camera clubs and things, you, you know, for for nothing almost, uh, you know, limited amounts of money, etc. So Bill wasn't taking any payment for creating Creative Camera magazine. He was just earning money wherever he could find it. But his passion for photography wasn't going to stop him from spreading his message. I mean, he was like an evangelical preacher going to these places, looking for people to convert. I'm not sure how successful he was in the camera club world, but nonetheless, he was determined to find anyone who would actually uh, entertain him and host him, and he would start, you know, preaching, if you like. Martin Parr there describing Bill as an evangelist, as so many people I spoke to did. This religious undercurrent seemed to keep coming to the surface. When Billy Graham was over... Uh, in England, he went up to see Billy Graham, and I think he went a couple of times actually. 
and I think he, when Billy Graham sort of used to call people down, I think he went. So I think that probably was quite a big influence at the time. That was Bill's sister Sue there giving us some insight into Bill's evangelism in its purest sense. As with any search, it's always dangerous to believe everything you hear, especially when what you're hearing are memories from so long ago. But what I was also finding was written evidence to back up conversations and also to allow me to challenge people about those memories. There was no doubt that my search had just begun, but I had absolutely no idea where it was to take me. All I knew was I'd got in deep, but I needed to go deeper. In the next episode, I will find out more about the parties at David Hearn's flat, the emergence of creative camera, and a man with a moustache, red hair, and strident way of speaking joins the creative camera team. This has been a United Nations of Photography production. All music was composed and played by Laura Ritchie. If you'd like to find out more about the film Do Not Bend, The Photographic Life of Bill J, visit www.donotbendfilm.com.